Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children 18 plus, you are tuned in to the Loan Officer Podcast with me, Dustin Owen, and my main man, JC. John Coleman. JC. Back in the studio office, Dio. Yeah, it's good to have you. Yeah, likewise. You know, last time we were out on a golf course, I think. No, yeah, no, we no. went to Top Golf. That was awesome. Hung out with Eric Ducharme. Yes. Yeah. Uh, shout out, Eric. Shout out to Eric. How about shout out to Top Golf shout Corporate? Out, right? Shout top out to Top Golf Corporate. Yeah. Top Golf Corporate. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we can parlay that into like lifetime memberships or something. I mean, but if you put it out there, it might happen. If I put it out there, it might happen. You know what I was thinking about? Okay. About that episode. And then I promise, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, today's episode. Episode you're going to want to listen to. You've probably clicked the link already. You saw the title, but it is going to be diving deep into the Fannie Mae changes as it pertains to the 7% rule, as it pertains to, as it pertains to investment properties and second homes. Okay. And I'm even going to geek out a little bit about some other changes that are kind of flying underneath the radar. Yeah. That if you're a loan originator or you're a home buyer or you're a realtor, or you know a realtor or a home buyer or someone who's going to be, be obtaining a home loan, you're going to want to know about these Fannie Mae changes as well. Nice. We're going to talk about the history of it, why it is, and where it's going. Perfect. But no, real quick on top of <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. And yeah. you always talk about the the uh, universe if you yeah. put it out there. Because last episode, if you didn't get a chance to, to check it out, and by the way, you can check out our episodes on YouTube. Yep. You can check them out on Spotify. Yep. You can check them out on Apple Podcasts. Yep. And really, anywhere else that you can consume podcasts, we're there. The but you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple. You can watch us on YouTube. Yep. You can also comment on YouTube, which is a lot of fun. Yes. And today's episode is actually coming from a yep. couple YouTube comments. There it is. Uh, so we call them viewer request or listener request. Yeah. And then obviously our social media, uh, we're on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, at The Loan Officer Podcast. And if you ever want to find me, I am Dustin Owen on LinkedIn. He's John Coleman on LinkedIn. Yes. Whew. All right, we got all that got done. It, got it, got it. Yeah. But no, what I was trying to put out in the universe for our friends now, we call yeah, them friends yeah. over at Topgolf, yeah. is how cool would it be to put like your your face and my face on the back of like the little buggy oh, yeah, or the little the cart ball, that, yeah. that picks up the balls? Yeah, that picks up the balls. And then like they gave a free beer, not any beer, an IPA. Yes. A free IPA. Out. If you hit yeah. our faces, I think it's worth an act. Wouldn't that be funny? Yes. So, Top Golf, if you're listening, if you're like, you know, really love the episode we did on location at one of your, for sure, at, at one of your venues, yeah. you should maybe take it a step further and entice yeah. your participants yes. to shoot for JC's face, yeah. to shoot for my head. And if they hit us, and it's a moving target, right? Because it's going to be on the back yeah, of that yeah, little, yeah, I don't know yeah. what you call that machine, there's the ball a, picker yeah, upper. Yeah, there's a, there's a proper term for it, but. Yeah, it, I, it escapes me now. It's like the the Zamboni of yeah, the Zamboni, <laughs> Zamboni, the Zamboni of the Z- golf. Yes. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So okay. today's episode, we yes. got all the fun and humor out yes. early. Now it's serious. Now it's the serious stuff. Okay. But um, all right, John. God, here we you go. haven't been under a rock, have you, the past two weeks? Um, I haven't, but I've heard Fannie Mae has changed some guidelines that might interrupt the flow of work for loan officers in the mortgage industry. Yeah, so check it out. So um, uh, Fannie Mae, now this isn't like Fannie Mae woke up and said, hey, we want to be like the big bad guy today and make everyone in the mortgage industry angry. Okay. Okay, Fannie Mae's been under conservatorship for the better part of the past decade plus. They're under conservatorship. Because they, along with their stepbrother, Freddie Mac, um, basically went belly up during the financial meltdown of 2007, 2008. They couldn't handle the amount of loan losses they were incurring. Therefore, the federal government had to step in. The Treasury had to infuse cash into them, and they put them under conservatorship. 
Okay. So the conservatorship that they've been under as as the 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 agency is the Federal Housing Finance Agency, where okay. we call that FHFA. Okay. So FHFA was, and it's it's important that people understand the history of Fannie Freddie and the history of conservatorship to understand why what has transpired has transpired. And then we'll talk about like how we can pivot, adjust, and move forward. Perfect. Okay, so the FHFA was created when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship. They were only put into conservatorship because they had to be, be rescued after the financial collapse, and they had to have cash infused with, with the Treasury. Okay. So just recently, the FHFA, along with the Department of Treasury, they have the Senior Preferred Stock Purchase Agreements. Okay, this is basically, without geeking out too much and diving too deep, this is um, all part of Fannie Mae being put in, into conservatorship, the Treasury having to infuse cash, and ultimately, we as a country have been working towards trying to get Fannie and Freddie out of conservatorship. Okay. How do we make these more private and less government entities? Okay. Um, it's re recap and release, recapitalize and release. That's been a term within the mortgage industry for the past decade. Okay. I don't think when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were put into conservatorship, it was thought that a decade later they'd still be there. Mm. But what has happened is the private market has not stepped up or stepped into the game. Okay. Okay, so if we were to go back to 2004, 5, and 6, and then any time period before that, you would have seen that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac probably, and please don't quote me on this, I'm trying to give it very high level, uh, but Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac probably or the were less than 30%. They were backing less than 30% of every mortgage loan that's currently being originated. Okay. Well, over the past decade plus, the government, whether it was Fannie and Freddie through their through being in conservatorship with the FHFA or the A loans, the 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 government loans, USDA government loan, VA government loan, FHA government loan. Government lending has been like 90 to 95% of all loans being originated. Yeah, that's all I know in my... <laughs> yeah, yeah. so that's a very high percentage when if you go back to pre-bust, yeah. pre-economic collapse, it was closer to like 30%. Really? Yeah. So, so, and the reason why is because there used to be a private market. We call that today uh, PSL or private label, PL, PLS, private label securities. Okay. Okay, there were companies like... Um, Morgan Stanley, like Merrill Lynch, like yeah. Deutsche Bank, like J.P. Morgan Chase, like Wells Fargo, that they were creating their own mortgage-backed securities, and then they were trading those into the marketplace. Currently, that's not being done. The mortgage-backed securities being traded are not private label. They're government label. They're either Fannie, Freddie, which now has been combined into a unified mortgage-backed security, um, or they're Ginnie Mae securities. Mm -hmm. So... Kind of even got more geeky than I wanted to. Just know this, very high level, because we need to get into what this 7% rule is, mm -hmm. what it means, how it's going to impact our business. What you have to understand is that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were never designed to be the only player for conventional financing. They, they weren't meant to be the only takeout for banks to deliver their loans to, to securitize their, their mortgage-backed securities and deliver them into the market. And, but for the past decade, they have been. Okay. Um, so Fannie and Freddie, and this is all through their conservator, FHFA, they've had to determine, well, how do we get the, the private market into it? 
They're not coming on their own. Mm -hmm. What do we need to do? Okay, here's what I think we need to do. This is not Dustin Owen. This is Correct. Fannie or Freddie yeah, or the correct, FHFA yeah. talking, correct. right? Okay, well, let's, let's make it increasingly difficult for consumers to access some of our products. Well, what products do we not want to touch? Well, we, we don't want to really screw with a whole lot of people who are buying homes for their primary residence. Like, we want to promote homeownership throughout the U.S. because we understand that homeowners are 70 times more likely to become wealthy than non-homeowners, right? Sure. We, we've understood that. But what are some avenues that we really need to see the private market step up to the plate? Well, should a government agency or an agency that is in conservatorship, such as Fannie and Freddie, be supporting people as they become landlords, as they, be, as they grow a real estate portfolio? Mm. Well, the FHFA and their agreement with the Treasury, Department of Treasury, they've determined, no, that's not the highest and best use of our resources. Therefore, we need to restrict the amount of loans that we are securitizing that are backed by investment properties. Okay. And then they take it one step further and they said, should we be promoting people buying vacation homes, second homes? Well, not really, right? That's, that's maybe not in the spirit of what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were originally designed to do. Mm. Because people who buy second homes, they tend to be more affluent. They tend to be more wealthy. They've kind of already made it. Yeah, yeah. And we want to we want to utilize our resources to help people that maybe don't have generational wealth or want to create generational wealth, and they want to do so through home ownership. Okay. So they have limited, like part of this senior preferred stock purchase agreement states, and this is the agreement that's set forth between the Department of Treasury and the FHFA. Mm -hmm. They've determined that only 7% of the loans securitized by Fannie Mae can be loans backed by investment properties and second homes. How do they determine which 7% get? Well, <laughs> that's a great question. First, let me just let you all know this. Okay. We've been over 7% since 2013. Damn. Okay, in 2013, by the way, that's when things started to come back. Right, like things crashed in seven and eight. They were pretty much uh, rock bottom, nine, 10, and 11. Mm -hmm. We started to rebound in 2013. Okay, okay so in, in 2013 was the first time that Fannie Mae was securitizing more than 7% of the loans were, were backed by second homes or investment properties. Gotcha. Um, your question is how or Wait, how, like how do they determine the 7%? Well, so this is kind of crazy. It's not clear. It's not concise, and this is this is one of the reasons why our advocacy groups, the MBA, the National Association of Mortgage Mortgage Bankers, uh, Urban Institute, and others, are lobbying and and um, asking for more clarity from the FHFA, from from the Department yeah. of Treasury, because it's looked at on, as a over a twelve month period of time, and it doesn't necessarily state that. Waterstone has to deliver less than 7% oh, okay. or that Wells Fargo or that guaranteed rate. It just says that Fannie Mae can only, can only have 7% of the loans mm -hmm. of that, that back their mortgage-backed securities be loans made for investment properties and second homes. Hmm. So here's what we've seen on the street level. If you're an originator tuning in, hopefully you haven't tuned out because I've, I, I, I bored you with some of the geekiness, <laughs> yeah. but... It means this, or if you're a, a, um, a potential 
home buyer mm-hmm. and you're tuning in, this is this is the meat and potatoes that you need to understand. Pricing on loans that are backed by homes that are for, that are being purchased or refinanced that are second homes or investment properties just got mad expensive. Really? Like I'm talking half a percent more expensive, a full what? percent more expensive. Yeah, it's like anything in life. If you have a product that you don't want to push, you just jack up the price. Jack up the price. Make yeah, make it more expensive. So is this a situation where like the pendulum the tried to course correct and correct it too much, and now we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now we're trying to could was, be okay. Could be yeah. I mean, it's like anything in life. Only time will tell. Yeah. Only time will tell. But yes, if you um, if you read some of the information coming out of uh, the Mortgage Bankers Association, if you if you listen to uh, what's being requested out of the National Association of, of Mortgage Brokers or what's being written by the Urban Institute. Yeah, yeah, those folks are very fearful that this is too much too soon. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no denying that at some point we have to pull our mortgage industry off the government teat. Yeah. Like we need to, we need to wean ourselves off of it. But is this too much too soon? Hmm. Some people like Mark Calabria, don't think so, right? Others say, uh, I think we're doing this too quick. But ultimately, what's trying, to, what's trying to be done is we're trying to entice the private market to come in. We're trying to entice players that have been sitting on the sidelines for the past decade plus yeah. because they see mortgage as too risky with too little reward to enter into the space. Oh, okay, okay and that's right. Life's about risk versus reward. If the yeah. reward is high enough, I'll take the risk. Mm-hmm. But if the reward is too low, I won't take the risk. Mm-hmm. And part of regulation that came from Dodd-Frank, Dodd-Frank was the answer to the financial collapse that was caused by the banking and housing industries, primarily. Then this new regulation and, and, and legislation made it more cumbersome mm-hmm. to to lend it, it made it um you know more taxing more compliance heavy mm-hmm. and it just was determined look mortgages especially but but yeah the mortgage industry too risky for too little reward so with Fannie and now Freddie following suit basically creating a scarcity meaning they're not going to be allowing as many of these loans to come in and fill their coffers mm-hmm. Then what has happened is everyone who is who's trying to originate these loans, they're only going to be able to originate, originate them at a very high premium. So you saw self-imposed aggregators and mortgage bankers put these loan level of pricing adjustments into their pricing, basically make pricing more expensive. Mm-hmm. The hope is that let's say you you are Deutsche Bank or you are UBS or you are JP Morgan, mm-hmm. you weren't willing to purchase or create a security that only paid a three and a quarter percent rate of return, but you would have done it at a three and three quarters percent rate of return. But at three and three quarters, you would have, you would have had no takers. No one would have bought into your product. No one would have sold you loans because it wasn't competitive, meaning they couldn't go out to the street and entice borrowers to come in and borrow money from them at which they turn that loan into a security package it and sell it. But now with with this new 7% cap, if Fannie, through their own rulemaking, mm-hmm. as determined through the preferred stock agreement or purchase uh, repurchase agreement and the treasury and FHFA and everything else, if their 
rulemaking has now pushed pricing on those loans up to four and a quarter, mm -hmm. maybe someone will come in now at at, okay. at three point seven five. Maybe a market that that otherwise wasn't created mm -hmm. has now been has, has now okay. been created. That's the end goal, right? If you look at anything that's being done, trying to recapitalize and release Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac out of conservatorship, we have to get the private market yeah, interested. Correct. The private market wasn't interested in investment property loans mm -hmm. or second home loans when the interest rates were three and a quarter. But they darn sure would yeah. love maybe some if the interest rate okay. was 3.75. Well, the minute Fannie Mae reduces, maybe even goes as far as cutting in half the number of loans that they're willing to accept, yeah. there's a supply and demand issue, right? Anytime that there is mad demand for your product or your service, do you have to offer it a discount or can you offer it as a premium? Premium. As a premium. So in this example, just imagine if Fannie went from offering investment property loans at three and a quarter, mm -hmm. now all of a sudden, because of these new rules, they're at like four and a quarter. Yeah. Maybe someone like a J.P. Morgan or a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill Lynch or a Deutsche Bank, maybe they'll come in mm -hmm. at 3.75. Yeah. Unless if they do so, then originators, don't freak out. That's what I was about to, yeah, That was my next question. Like, don't so, freak yeah. out, right? The private market may come in. And if the private market doesn't come in, which is a fear, right? That's a fear. Then what happens? Now, there's going to be some, some non-QM lenders out there. Right, lenders uh, like Citadel or Angel Oak or Sprout, or that maybe they'll create a product. Mm -hmm. Now that product's not going to be as advantageous as a Fannie Mae thirty-year fixed mortgage in terms of its terms and oh. its rates. Okay, but it at least would be a solution. Like at the end of the day, as an originator, even as a consumer, whatever is available, we're going to market and sell. How long do you think the timetable is for something like this? For like, all right, so Fannie Mae, they did this thing. How long do you predict? Predict. Uh, it will take for like other people to come in the market and offer new products, like three months, four months, five months. Yeah, I have no idea. Okay. I think that that may be a little bit above my pay grade. Okay. Like I could take my guess. Yeah, right? give me a guess. Uh, just... um, my, my, there's people already trying to get in. Okay. Right? There's there's people. All, look, this isn't new news, by the way. Right. Let's let's stop there. Okay. This isn't new news. I mean, since at least 2018, if not 2016. Okay. Um, the FHFA. Has has been forecasting. They've been prognosticating. Okay. They've been given warnings. Like, hey, right. we're going to be doing something like this. Uh, get ready. Get prepared. Yeah. Right. This isn't brand new. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, there's there there have been people that when this news was announced just a few weeks ago, yeah. it wasn't necessarily new news. It was more of a you know like imagine I don't know back in high school your yeah, buddy's like your buddy's like yo John one day this week. One day this week when you're not looking, I'm going to come and I'm going to rabbit punch you. All right, sure, man, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then like, it, yeah. yeah, then you forget <laughs> about it. And then, like, Thursday, hey, man, bell rings. Yep. Yeah. Hey, what would you do that for? I told you I was going to do it. Correct. Yeah, gotcha. it's like, oh, shit, he told gotcha. me that yeah, was going to yeah, happen. Gotcha. okay. I didn't think he'd go, he'd go through with it. <laughs> yeah, no, gotcha. I guess what? They're going through with it. Okay. But here's what's crazy. If you, like, read into it, where, where there's a lack of clarity is Fannie Mae hasn't stated and they might not state whether or not it's like hey every lender who delivers loans through us can only have seven percent of their loans mm. be loans that are backed by second homes and investment properties so because they haven't stated it one could only assume, assume. Yeah, that hey john your mortgage company can only do three percent 
But Dio, we like your mortgage company, so you guys can do 12%. Because yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, the, the rule is that no more than 7%. So the total will average out to be like, gotcha. Yep, and it's and it's the average over the most recent 12 months. So it's it's like almost like a rolling average, at least the way that I read it. Yeah. I read it to be a rolling average, not a calendar year. Could be a calendar year. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm mm-hmm. totally cool with that. Um, I've admitted that I read it as count, uh, as rolling average. Yeah. But so, like, that's kind of it's almost not fair, right? Yeah. Well, like, do we... Do we have parity then in the in the landscape of lending if you won't let John's mortgage company deliver but 3% but my mortgage company can do 12? Yeah. Um and and at, at what point are you going to start measuring it? Is it John's mortgage company starting April 1 but mine not till June 1? Right? You yes. know, it's but what the industry has done as a whole Again, for loan officers tuning in so you understand and consumers who are looking to maybe purchase that beach condo or that lake house or your first or your fifth investment property, yeah. uh, it's to understand that your pricing just went up significantly. And it has nothing to do with your lender, has everything to do with the loan that you were trying to obtain is backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And Fannie and, or Freddie, um, through their conservator, FHFA, are being told that only 7% of the loans that they purchase can be loans that are backed by investment properties and second homes. Therefore, in order to cut off that flow, you have to increase pricing mm-hmm. to force people to not look your way. Yeah, so they have to look somewhere else. Yep, so you've seen pricing go up. The hope is that the PLS market, the private labor security market, comes in and fills that void. Right now, the non-QM lenders, like these are lenders who have been doing the bank statement loans and mm-hmm. and some of the loans that don't meet the 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 standards of a qualified mm-hmm. mortgage, those companies have probably been chomping at the bit, you know, licking their ah, lips, salivating, that, yeah. getting excited because this is more opportunity for them. Gotcha. So if you're a loan officer and you don't have a relationship with non-QM lenders, ding ding ding, you might need one. This this may be what gets you off the couch talking to one of those account executives at one of those lenders. Um, Or if you're a Morgan Stanley and you've been wanting to get back into the mortgage space or a Merrill Lynch wanting to get back in the mortgage space, but you didn't really want to do the bank statement loans. Yeah. Maybe you want to get back in because you want to cherry pick some of the best loans that are backed by second homes, vacation properties or investment properties, right? Maybe you come in and say, Hey, I'm going to create a private label security. I'm going to offer a rate that's three and a quarter, but I'm only going to buy loans that have a 760 credit score, a 75% uh, loan to value, and a 41% loan, uh, a DTI or below. Yeah. Well, if you're a lender and you know that Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley is, is creating that type of private label security, you now have to ask yourself, do I have the ability and opportunity yeah. to sell loans to them? Yeah. Because if I don't, I need to get in line. I need to figure out how I can be next in line to sell to deliver loans to those people because my loan officers would love nothing more but to have that aggressive pricing mm-hmm. to take to to the street. Like imagine that. Imagine if I'm a lender and I can deliver loans. So let's just call it Merrill Lynch. And Merrill does have this awesome private label security as long as I have a squeaky clean client that that's willing to purchase loans that are backed by second homes and investment properties. Yeah. Well, I could deliver it to Fannie or Freddie. And it's going to be at 4% because of their new 7% rule and the loan level pricing adjustments. But this private label security has come in. It's backed by Deutsche Bank or Merrill Lynch or you name that 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 big banking conglomerate. Mm-hmm. And they're offering rates at 35 Oh, shit. Yeah, I want to go there. But what if you work for a lender who doesn't have that opportunity? 
Yeah, then what? Yeah, what if you work for a lender who doesn't have the ability to, to, to sell to one of these non-QM lenders? SOL. Yeah. So as an originator, this very well could open your eyes to being like, ooh, That's what I mean, yeah. maybe I'm no longer aligned with the right mortgage company. Right. Or it may solidify that, hell yes. So I made the right move. I, ma I made the right decision because I'm aligned with a mortgage lender who's going to allow me to be flexible. Just know that it's going to impact all of us one way or the other. We don't get to make the rules. Yeah. We have to play by them. But just hearing you talk, like, even if it makes sense how you articulated today, it sounds like an opportunity more so than a debt. Like, it, while it could, you know, irritate some individuals, the way you're making it sound to me is like there's a prime opportunity to either revamp your business, do something different, X, Y, Z. Look, Mike Smalley talked about this when we when we had him on the uh, podcast show where we talked about the new Earl. Earl yeah. Right? Look, you either adapt with change and you try to stay one step ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. Or I think he referenced the uh, the book Who Moved My Cheese, yeah, yeah. right? Or you defy change, you complain mm -hmm. about it, and you don't roll with the punches. Mm. If that's if you want to take the latter, you're gonna fall behind. Yeah, I like your mindset, John. You're like, no, there's gonna be an opportunity here. Yeah, does it suck? Yes. You know who loses? The consumer loses. Mm. The consumer loses, but Mark Calabria, who heads up the FHFA, he may argue the consumer will win. If this is what forces the private market in, right? I mean, the more competition you have, ultimately, the better things are supposed to be. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Um, so is this going to be the catalyst? Only time will tell. How harmful will it be? Only time will tell. Gotcha. Right? It'll, it'll be harmful if the private market doesn't step up to the plate and fill that void. Right? But a question people should ask is, is it the government's role <laughs> I know, to right? help yeah. John Coleman and his wife uh, um, put together a portfolio of 10 investment properties? I would say no. Is, yeah, is that, would, is that the government's role to back mortgages, to bankroll you becoming a multimillionaire through home ownership? Mm -hmm. or, or should you utilize and leverage private financing, private funding, mm -hmm. and allow the government to utilize their resources for affordable housing, for first-time homebuyer initiatives. I mean, yeah, the way you say it is like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, for, for opportunities for low to moderate you know, income. Right. I mean, there's so many other opportunities. Is that the role of government? Mm. Do we want less government or more government? Well, based on last year's election, half the populace wants less five, five million, yeah. wants once less government and yeah. half the populace plus 5 million wants more government. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a, we're all in the, in the same boat, yeah. right? So you have to find a happy medium somewhere. Okay. Now here's some other changes I do want to cover. And I know we're already getting long and I feel like we barely scratched the surface on the 7% rule. And I feel bad because I don't even know if we actually answered the question that our viewers and listeners had when they started reaching out to us a week ago saying, guys, could you please cover this new 7% thing? Yeah. Uh, we did our best. Um, if you have any further questions, let us know. Yeah. Like, you know, hit John up, um, email. What's the email? Loan Officer the Podcast. Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, make comments on YouTube. If I got something totally wrong, I apologize. Right. You know, like, like I encourage you all to become students of our industry. Uh, Dave Stevens is, is a hell of a mortgage professional. You can follow him on LinkedIn. Okay. He gets interviewed uh, a lot. He writes in housing wire. So make sure you're reading the articles that are in housing wire. You're following guys like Dave Stevens. You're reading Rob Christman's blog. You're subscribing to Rob Christman's blog. It's a, it's a blog, but it's actually a daily email. Okay. Um, like these are things that as a, as a mortgage professional, even a real estate professional, if you are, are tied to the mortgage and housing industry, 
you should be reading Housing Wire. Uh, you should be following people like, like like Dave Stevens. You should be engaged in your Mortgage Bank Bankers Association or your National Association of Mortgage Brokers. Yeah. These are all things you should be doing so you're kind of in the know right. and you understand the why behind it. You know, like I tried my best today to say, hey, if you go back 10 or 15 years, Fannie and Freddie were not this involved in the mortgage banking. People have memories like a goldfish deal. I'm telling you, because I would have... Yeah, it, it wasn't designed for the government to be the end-all, be-all player when it comes to backing mortgages. So if you go back, this is just me as a... Until like 1985, you could have J.P. Morgan doing like a bunch of mortgages. Oh, geez. Have, 1985, John, I'm... So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, savings and loans. In 1985, the savings and loan industry... You're looking at me all perplexed. <laughs> yeah, like, what in the hell is the savings and loan industry? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, they flopped. They crumbled. They crushed. Like... Um, really disrupted the 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 economies in, in, in states like Texas terribly. Okay. The collapse of the savings alone actually um, would lead us into the the takeoff of the quasi government ah. agencies known as Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They're always quasi government, like 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 FHA and VA and USDA. Those were always government entities. Mm-hmm. Fannie and Freddie were quasi-government. That's how I was taught even in 2004, okay. right? They were publicly traded companies that just were backed by the by, by the government, but not like wholeheartedly backed. Okay. It wasn't until the financial collapse and Fannie and Freddie, like every other lender who was uh, heavy in the mortgage industry, <laughs> were ready to go belly up and they didn't have enough cash to cover their losses that the Treasury infused cash into them, just like the Treasury was infusing cash into AIG and a bunch of other companies that needed the yeah. the, the support. Okay. Um, the Treasury infused a bunch of cash. But it's good to know, you mentioned 1985, because no, in 1985, uh, most mortgages were being done uh, just through the bank, and they weren't being securitized into mortgage-backed securities. The, but the mortgage-backed security, the reason why we need Fannie and Freddie, it creates liquidity in the market. It allows banks and lenders to continue to to lend money. Because if I'm a bank or I'm a savings and loan and I lent out a bunch of money, eventually I can only lend out a percentage of the deposits I have. Yeah. If I run out of deposits, then I can't lend money. Yeah. Well, if I can't lend money, people can't go out and buy more houses. Builders can't continue to build more houses. We can't continue to grow. So we had to create liquidity in the marketplace, whether it was um, through the federal bank whether it was a federal home loan bank or whether it's through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the ability for lenders to sell loans to Fannie and Freddie and get those loans securitized. Um, so 85, that was a crazy year because that was right before the, the savings and loan collapse or during the savings and loan collapse. Hmm. But just knowing the 90s and early 2000s, Fannie and Freddie weren't as heavily involved in every loan that was being originated. They weren't the only player. There were other players, private players out there after the collapse the private players disappeared and they have yet to come back. So we as lending institutions and banks have been solely relying for the most part. You know, there yes, there have been some some private players step up. Redwood Trust is one of them. Angel uh, Angel Oak is one of them. I think I got that name right. Um, like there's been other players uh, that that have definitely stepped up, but for the most part, greater than 90% of every loan has had some kind of government backing whether it was FHA, VA, USDA, or Fannie Freddie. So, you know, when, when Fannie states this, when the FHFA and their agreement with the Treasury states that this has to be no more than 7%, please know that 
it was never designed for Fanny and Freddie to be like the only takeout yeah. for people to 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 order from, right? Mm-hmm. It's, so it's yes, it sucks. Yes, this is going to be a kick to the gut, but we were warned of it several years ago. It was never designed to be this way. I'm encouraging you to to learn it, learn why, learn where we're going. Uh, align yourself with with a with a mortgage origination company that will allow you the flexibility to either deliver loans to a non-QM lender or can go out and build relationships with maybe some of these private label security aggregators who are going to be creating brand new products and bringing them to the market. But make sure you understand it well enough to explain to the consumer because ultimately the consumer is the one who's going to hurt here oh, yeah. because very well, easily or very decidedly lending to people who are looking to purchase a second home, a vacation home, mm-hmm. or a rental property, an investment property, has just become more difficult. Mm-hmm. More expensive, A, and more difficult, right? Because think about what this, if only 7% can be delivered. Top cream of the crop. There yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah. I'm going to cherry pick. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to cherry pick the good loans. Yeah. And um, I'm going to charge a premium. Mm-hmm. Now, that's going to give opportunities for someone else to come in. Yeah. And maybe charge less. Maybe they'll cherry pick a little bit more than I do, but they're going to do it for a lot cheaper. cheaper yeah. Yep. Or they'll charge the same rate as I do because there's now a, a, a fatter profit margin, a fatter mm-hmm. premium, but they're willing to do so um, with a little bit more risk. Yeah. So, for example, maybe we see that Fannie, it's very difficult to get someone approved through Fannie and Freddie if their DTI is... Uh, this is, by the way, I'm segueing into the last bit of, of today's show, but but still speaking specifically about second homes and investment properties, maybe this new 7% rule means, yes, Fannie and Freddie, we're going to charge a premium, right? You're going to see a fat LLPA, loan level of pricing adjustment, 200 to 300 basis points. Mm. That means that interest rate just went up by three quarters of a percent to one and a half percent higher than what it would have been before this change, before mm. this new rule. Mm-hmm. And not only am I charging the premium, but I'm going to make it more difficult. Meaning when you run one of these scenarios through my automated underwriting system, mm-hmm. I may only accept 720 plus credit scores. I may only accept people with DTIs under 43. Mm. I may only accept loan to values that are 80% or less. Mm-hmm. Okay. It is what it is. If Fannie and Freddie are the only player in town, that's all I got. Yeah. That's all I can do. But... What if the private market comes in and the private market may come in and say, look, I'm going to be just as strict as Fannie Freddie. In fact, more strict. I don't want a 720, I want a 740 credit score. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I won't take a 43 DTI. I want a 41 DTI. And on top of it, I want 75 LTV, not 80 LTV. But if you bring me that, I'm going to offer a three and a half percent interest rate, not a four and a quarter. Okay. Well, now some of Fannie and Freddie's business is going to slide over to the private market. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm Fannie and Freddie and I'm looking at my bottom line, I'm looking at my stat sheet, I'm looking at my analytics, and I don't like what's transpiring, it's going to force me to be more competitive. Oh, if I have to be more competitive, maybe I'll open up my credit box. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll make my pricing a little bit more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Now we have competition. This is if you're Mark Calabria and you're the FHFA and you're the one creating this rule, right, all through the senior preferred stock purchase agreements, this is your ideal situation. 
this is what you want to happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, you may also have someone who comes in and they're like, look, I'm going to charge the same exact rate as Fannie and Freddie. Okay. Same exact, but I'll do a 680 credit score, but I'll do a 45 mm. DTI, but I'll do a LTV of 85 or 90. Mm-hmm. Okay. If too much of that business starts going to Fannie and Freddie, again, maybe there'll be a competition. Mm. That's ultimately what they, those that have signed off on the 7% rule, it's what they want to see. Gotcha. All right. So one thing that really isn't getting a whole lot of news that should get a whole lot of news, and it kind of correlates to these changes that are going on in terms of um, Fannie and Freddie saying, okay, it's been over a decade. We are sick and tired of being <laughs> the, the only game in town. Yeah. Okay. Their new... It's in their most recent lender letter. Okay. There are three attributes of loans that they don't like. High LTV, low FICO, and high DTI. Okay. All right? So loan officers, realtors, people who are going to be borrowing money sometime in the next 12 to 36 months, buying your first house, buying your second home, what have you. This applies to all of you. Okay. We already know that if you want to get the best terms and have – the most options for lending, you want to have high credit, mm-hmm. low loan to value, yeah. and you want to have a low DTI. And ultimately, you want to have at least two out of the three. Yeah. Well, Fannie and Freddie have come out, at least Fannie has. You know, I always say Fannie and Freddie, that the two go together. Yeah. Fannie was first, Freddie was second. Uh, we always, we always, um, they technically compete against each other. So this is good to know. Yeah. They technically compete against each other, but they had the same parents, That's right? Yeah. They're, they're still in conservatorship with the FHFA. They both were always quasi-government agencies. And and just recently, you used to be able to deliver a, a loan in the secondary market. One could have been to a Fannie in, uh, mortgage-backed security. Mm-hmm. One could have been a Freddie. Now it's uh, unified. Okay. Um, uniform. Uniform. The U, it's a UMBS. <laughs> I should know this, damn it. I'm a CMB. <laughs> um, today, it's uniform, unified. It, just know they, they combined. Okay. And it tends to be a Fannie Day does something, Freddie, Freddie's going to follow suit okay. uh, and vice versa, uh, especially if it's something as large as a 7% rule. Gotcha. So we tend to loop in Fannie and Freddie, but they are separate, separate. right? They're brother and sister or stepbrother, stepsister, um, half-brother, half-sister, mm-hmm. however you want to think of it. Okay. So when I say Fannie and Freddie, honestly, I'm, I'm referring a lot to Fannie right now because Fannie's the one that's come out and made the news and made the waves. Gotcha. We anticipate Freddie Mac's going to follow suit. Okay. okay? Uh, so I was talking about LTV, DTI, and uh, FICO. Credit, yep, uh, credit score. Yeah. So we we've always known in the industry it was a great rule of thumb that you wanted to have high credit score, yeah. you want to have low debt to income ratio, and preferably you want to be putting some money down, some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And it started in 2018, where if you were trying to utilize down payment assistance, that means no skin in the game for the consumer. <laughs> yeah. Okay you need to be more squeaky clean starting in 2018 versus 2017 and years prior. Meaning they're good luck running a down payment assistance loan through Fannie Mae's automated underwriting system where you had a lower FICO and a higher DTI. Okay, well, just recently, Fannie has come out and they have stated for all loans, not just down payment assistance loans, for all loans, that they are only going to be willing to accept one out of these three criteria. So they're cool if your DTI is 45 or higher, as long as your credit score is is above 680, and as long as your 
uh, LTV is below 90. Okay. They're totally cool with your LTV being above 90 Mm -hmm. as long as your DTI is below 45, as long as your FICO is above 680. Okay. And they're cool with your credit score being below 680 as long as your LTV is below 90 and your DTI is below 45. But? But they're not cool with two out of three. Okay, so these are the three things that they're not that they that they have red flags on warnings. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like um, took my son on a hike when we were in Hawaii. We hiked down to the uh, lava rocks where they meet the ocean, and there is a really cool blowhole. A blowhole is kind of like a uh, a geyser, right? Utilizing mm-hmm. ocean water and and lava rock. Mm-hmm. And there's a big sign that says warning, danger ahead, do not proceed. Mm-hmm. Okay, Fannie Mae Fannie Mae has stated. These are the warning signs. A FICO below 680, credit score below 680, a DTI above 45, and an LTV above 90. They're cool with one. They're not cool with two. They sure as hell won't take all three. (laughs) Yep. So if you have two of those three factors, just a month ago or two months ago, you very well could have run a 660 credit score through Fannie Mae's desktop underwriter with a 46 DTI and received an approved eligible. But now. But now. Uh-uh. No, thank you. No. You need to get your either your LTV down or your credit score up. <laughs> so any combination, any combination, originators, you got to know this. Because we are going to get so many questions here at the branch level where an LO is going to run something through LPA or DU. And they're going to be like, oh, DO, I, what's going on? Or they're going to go to their manager. What's going on? I can't get an approved eligible. I'm like, well, do you have two of those three qualities? Oh, yeah. Is your FICO below 680? Is your DTI above 45? Or is your LTV above 90? Hmm. If you have two out of the three, that loan's not going to go through. Hmm. Guess what? FHA is a great choice for that person, especially when they're buying a primary home, especially when their loan, when their mm. loan amount is under your area's uh, maximum FHA loan amount. Yeah. Right, like FHA is a great product. We have gotten a pass. Uh, uh, we've gotten away from that over the past three to five years as an industry. Mm-hmm. We should start looking towards FHA, realtors, home buyers. This is every reason why you have to talk to a lender early on in the process, yeah. because if your DTI is un- is over a forty five and your credit score is is under a six eighty, if you and your loan officer have enough time, can you put together a game plan? That'll allow you to fix one of those two things. Yeah, that sounds like that. Right? I mean, are there a couple things you can do to get that credit score from a 670 to a 690? Mm-hmm. Probably pay your credit cards down. Yeah. Maybe you have a couple small credit cards that are showing as maxed out. Mm-hmm. Right? These are some things that when we had Credit Christie on mm-hmm. almost a year ago now mm-hmm. um, that that she was teaching, you know, about, about best practices when it comes to credit. And as a loan officer, this is why we teach you have to be a proven intelligent professional yeah. like there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all mortgage you're gonna consumers gonna have to work with their loan officer mm-hmm. earlier and more often up front in order to put themselves in the best position to qualify all i hear is opportunity if i'm a loan officer all i hear is opportunity to educate yourself on this to sound smart because just by listening to you i feel like i could go out somewhere and be like actually did you know the guidelines recently changed on that oh by a hey, loan <laughs> officers you should be teaching lunch and learns right now to, yes. to your realtor and builder partners 
They need to look at you as the expert. You have to know this stuff. You have to know how could you get someone's DTI down? How could you get someone's credit score up? Mm-hmm. Look, the LTV, that's hard to solve for. Like, I don't know how you help someone find more money, <laughs> but you sure as heck can help someone get their credit score up. Right? And you can also help. I think credit score is the easiest one, honestly. Yeah, yeah. DTI, it's like, look, it's going to take a little bit of money to do DTI, but there's some tricks in the bag, right? Someone like Credit Christie can talk to someone about how they could go refinance their car loan, mm. get a cheaper car payment that'll lower their DTI, right? Maybe, maybe um, instead of putting down 10%, you put down 5%. By putting down 5%, you're able to pay off some debt. Now yeah. that you get the debt load down, uh, maybe you want to utilize borrowing against your 401k, for your down payment, but maybe the cash you have saved, you use to pay off some debt to get your DTI down. Like there's some things that yeah. consumers can do, yeah. but this is why I don't think you could just go to a call center to get a loan. Right. This is why realtors refer certain loan officers in the marketplace and why they try to get home buyers talking to lenders early in the process so that, look, if you're looking to buy in nine months, that doesn't mean do your pre-approval in eight months. That means <laughs> talk to a lender today, yeah. make sure that, that you could qualify and if you can't, what are some things that you can work on? Yeah. So that's kind of what's going on in the landscape of conventional financing. Because look, Fannie and Freddie is just conventional, right? This is not impacting VA loans, FHA loans, and USDA loans. By the way, you can't utilize FHA, VA, or USDA to purchase second homes or, or an investment property. We've done shows on this as well. Mm-hmm. But this is what's going on in the conventional landscape. There's a reason behind it, right? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, Historically speaking, what transpired, what's the future, both the Fannie and Freddie, as well as our industry, I, I'd encourage everyone to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. The um, Mortgage Bankers Association, they have School of Mortgage Banking. You can do School of Mortgage Banking 1, 2, and 3. You can become an accredited mortgage professional. You can parlay that into becoming a CMB. A CMB is, to me, the highest designation you can achieve as a mortgage professional, at least from a from a academic standpoint, mm-hmm. you can get involved in the National Mortgage Bank, uh, uh, the National Association of Mortgage Brokers. You can get involved in the Mortgage Bankers Association. You can, you know, uh, uh, you can read. listen to this podcast. You can listen to this podcast. <laughs> no, but you 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 can you can uh, uh, subscribe to Rob Chrisman. You can follow Dave Stevens. There's a mm-hmm. lot that you can do. Read Housing Wire. There's a lot that you can do to make sure that that you're on top of your game and you're truly understanding the why. Yeah. Look, the experts are going to debate whether this is too much too soon. We, as an industry, me as Dustin Owen, I'm going to let Dave Stevens uh, uh, publish what he publishes in Housey Wire, then I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let Bob Brokschmidt, who is the president of the Mortgage Bankers Association, and his team lobby Congress on behalf of my industry. But I'm going to follow what they're doing, and then time will tell. Yeah. But as an originator, as anyone tuning in as a home buyer or a realtor, this is my take of what is transpiring. This is how I understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, I am by no means a policy maker. At the end of the day, I'm a loan officer. I'm a loan officer at heart. I'm someone today who talks about the mortgage industry. I teach about being a, a, a top loan officer because I once was one. And along with two of my two business partners, I run a very large mortgage operation in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. right? But but please know that anything I talked about today is how I understand it yeah. um, and how I've read it and how I've regurgitated it. By all means, it's not the holy grail. So I encourage you to become a student yourself. Yes. If you like what we're doing, please share us. 
please like us. Mm-hmm. Please give us a review. Mm-hmm. Um, follow us. Mm-hmm. Hit us up on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Loan Officer Podcast. And hit us up. Email John. Email me. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. This is all we have today about this topic. If there's something else you want to hear us uh, do, by all means, recommend it. John will add it to the agenda. We will do our best to make it a priority. He's John Coleman. I'm Dustin Owen, and we're out. Peace.